0: Well, good morning, church family, as we're getting ready to enjoy baptism this morning. We have one that's coming to us in a little bit of a special way. Uh, Lori has recently made a profession of faith in Christ, and she's done that because of the outreach of a couple of friends, members of our church, and uh, and by watching our live stream Sunday in and Sunday out. Lori actually lives down in Virginia Beach, and uh, Lori, you've got, some, you've got some heavy health challenges. Yes. going on that are that are a, a kind of a threat to your life right now. And uh, you have come to Christ to, to find him as your hope for today and for tomorrow, right? Yes. yes. And so we're just very excited to be celebrating this moment and sharing it with you. So, Lori, if you would turn like this. Okay. okay. Lori, have you... Uh, let's do this. Okay. All right. Lori, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? Yes, I have. Do you promise to follow him all the days of your life? Yes, I do. Well, based on your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ unto death to rise to walk in a new life. (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And did you see how fast I got out here? Changed clothes and everything? No, that uh, that happened Thursday morning, and uh, you know folks, this what I'm about to say, I, I mean in some way it's true with every single baptism, it's true with every single person, sometimes maybe we see a little bit more, but you know as I watched her that morning, I just thought of all the moving parts that brought that about. Uh, a friend of hers here in this church that she hadn't talked to in over 35 years, but understood what she was going through just reached out you know to to pray to say hey I'll, I'm praying for you and minister and got to talking there and in his wanting to to minister to her and engaged his life group teacher and now now his life group teacher is talking to her and they're talking about God and the gospel and what and why and these kinds of things and in the process of doing that they <clears throat> excuse me they have her start watching uh, every Sunday, uh, our, our service, and in the whole process of that, she, she came to faith in Christ and uh, ended up here Thursday morning. You, you think of this, folks, there's all these people. I mean, like when I say the live stream, how many people you don't see that make that happen? I mean, there's pastors on our staff that make that happen. There's dozens of volunteers that make that happen so that a woman who has never entered this building... Has never looked on the face of anybody in this room is there Thursday morning getting, getting baptized. And just, uh, man, a great picture of how God is, is always working. I, I, I think our eyes are kind of focused for obvious reasons on what's going on here in the room, in, in the concourse, in the other rooms. We see ministry happening around here. Uh, I never cease to be amazed by what's going on through the camera that we sometimes never know. But, but this time got a glimpse of something that was happening. So be, be praying for Lori. She's got some, uh, some real challenging days and, and probably a shortened life uh, in, in front of her. But whatever's in front of her, she goes with Jesus into that. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, listen, we're continuing today our Through the Bible in a Year, and we're actually kind of coming up on our first intersection. Next week will be week seven of the first volume. We've got six volumes, and every volume has seven lessons, so uh, we're about to finish Genesis. And you, you'll remember Genesis. Is is the only part of this study that got a book all to itself, a volume all to itself? Uh, volume two. I, I laugh when I look at this Exodus through Judges. Do you realize how much ground we're going to cover? And se- that's almost a lesson—a book, a lesson on Exodus, a, a lesson on Leviticus. I mean, that's huge chunks of scripture uh, that we're going to be going through. But. Getting a picture of the entire Bible. So we're about to finish Volume One. Uh, if you want to get Volume Two, uh, I encourage you to get it in your life group. Uh, if you are not in a life group, or maybe you need to pay with credit card, you can do that uh, out out here in the concourse. But they're they're ten dollar book. Uh, there's the price tag right there. See, and uh, but we're selling them for seven dollars. Trying to make that as as easy as possible as we can for as many. Um, we've got eight hundred. And when they're gone, they're gone. Uh, we, can't, we can't stockpile. I know especially as we get into book three and four, we're going to have new people. Well, hey, how do I get the earlier books? Or how do I go back and get that? Lifeway. Lifeway Christian Bookstore uh, would be the, the best place to go and get that once we're out. Uh, if you're not familiar with that store... A lot of us know where Commonwealth 20 is, the, the, uh, the movie theater. Uh, at the left front of that, coming out of the movie theater, there's a strip center in Lifeways right there. And they, they have all the volumes uh, that you can get at any time there. But uh, we're getting ready to start volume two. I hope you'll go out there and get that and uh, continue uh, our study. I, I, I'm going to tell you again, it's an awesome thing when we turn the corner on about November and you've got six of these books, and you've got your Bible studies, the books Bible studies, your personal notes, and, and the commentary, and, and you'll have studied the whole Bible. So it's a really great opportunity. I hope you're taking advantage of that. So, uh, you know, one of the, the things that's kind of fun as we continue to to move through these passages and understand history, it's always challenging to kind of understand, to interpret What is happening there and and believe it or not, I know this will come as a surprise, but 2019 America is just a little different than, say, 1800 B.C. Semite culture. They they are different and uh, we just approach things differently. And So you have to work through and understand that sometimes a lot more is going on than than we maybe fully grasp in, in something as simple as a name. We, we don't put a lot in names. Names don't necessarily have a lot of meaning. Now, I'm not talking about you, Mom and Dad. I know you sweat over what you were going to name your little bouncing bubbly of joy there. And, 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 and we thought about that. But let's, but let's be honest. After we name them, then we just move on. We never think about it again. I mean, a name is it. I call it the Shakespeare model. A rose by any other name is still, is still a rose, Right? The name has not, the fragrance is the same, the beauty is the same, it, 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 it's grandeur among all the flowers is all the same, whatever you call it. It's just, the name's irrelevant. That, that's kind of, I think, how we think of names in, in our culture, in our time. Boy, that's not the Hebrew culture. They put a lot into names now you see this more in the old testament not as much the new testament that's moving into a greek culture that's a thousand years later but boy in the hebrew they put a lot of stock in names and unfortunately there are some kids in the in the old testament get some really weird names i mean i'd be like thanks for that mom and dad uh, I mean, they, they will name a child. Maybe they're trying to memorialize something about the past, an event in the family. Or maybe they're trying to prophesy a future. A lot of times there's a character, a quality in a person or or a quality in the family. And, and they'll name kids these things. And the, these names have a, a, a lot of meaning. It makes for a very... Interesting study uh, throughout the Old Testament to see what all that means, how God uses it. God comes into their culture and uses what they're already doing with how they think of names. Let me show you an example uh, of what I'm talking about. Turn to Genesis 25. Now this is not our, our main passage today. But it is the person. It is the character, Jacob. Uh, that we're going to be looking at today. And uh, I bounce around in the Bible. Uh, I, I, back and forth between the English Standard Version. And the New Living Translation. For those of you that have a Bible app. And can actually change what you're reading. I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Uh, Today, the New Living Translation. But look at Genesis 25, verse 22. Now, this is Rebecca that that has got something going on inside her. Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac is Abraham's son, and uh, she knows that she's pregnant. But the two children struggled with each other in her room. Now, remember, there's no ultrasound. (laughs) <laughs> she, there, there's no test, there's no way of knowing uh, that, that she's got multiple people inside her. And so she feels all this going on, and man, just in really a, an act of prayer, she's saying, hey, Lord, what's happening inside me? It feels like there's like a war going on in there, and, and the Lord answers her. Verse 23, and the Lord told her, the sons, plural, in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. Have you ever heard the phrase, the older will serve the younger? There there it is. That's where it came from. That's where it was born. <laughs> no, no pun intended. That was funny, y'all. Right there, the... Y'all, could, gosh, y'all missed it. Verse 24. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red, kind of partial to that, was very red at birth and covered with thick hair, like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Now, see, you hear the word Esau and don't think anything, right? You know what, you know what Esau is? It's, it's hairy, I mean, we, they, that's a name in America, right? H-A-R-R-Y, Harry. Uh, they looked at their kid and they said, hey, makes you wonder how much they thought about this before they were born, you know? But you know, Esau pops out and they said, well, he's a hairy little booger. Verse 26, then the other twin was born with his hand grasping. Now, you, the, the baby's coming out, okay? Here, here comes Esau, feet are last. And as his feet come out, there's a hand there's a hand right there on the heel. And, and so they, they look at this baby and they name him Jacob. Which again, I think our tendency now is just to fly right on by. I mean, Jacob, that's, that's a name, right? I have a nephew named Jacob. Jacob's a very common name. But re- remember, it's, it's, it's a sound in the Hebrew language. Jacob, Yakub. Yakub. They just named him Jacob. It literally means heel catcher. Heel catcher. He comes out and they name their son heel catcher. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? Why, why, what, what, why would you have a heel catcher? Well, the literal translation of that word is heel catcher. But the way the word was used, they used that word to call somebody a cheater. To call somebody a deceiver. You know, you got people who come at you head on in life and they kind of bowl us over. At least you know they're coming, right? Then you got those people that are always working from the shadows. They trip you up. You're laying on the ground. You don't even know what hit you. Their hand came out in the, from the shadows. That, that's what they just named their son. I mean, right? Thanks, mom and dad, for that. And boy, did he pick up that name and run with it. As a matter of fact, really, the major kind of defining points of, of Jacob's growing up years were around his deception of someone. He, he deceived his brother Esau twice. He deceived his father. He's going to deceive his father-in-law. Now if you read the story there, honestly the father-in-law kind of had it coming. If you read what the father-in-law was doing. But so I'm not really talking about who's right, who's wrong. I mean is there, is there a time to deceive? I'm just talking about that's, that's what he did. He really owned his name. He was a deceiver. He was a cheater. That's, that's when people called him. That's the word coming out of their mouth every time. But you know what? There's good news. God changes names. Now we wouldn't say. That's what they would say in Hebrew. You know what we'd say in America? Man, God changes lives, doesn't he? God changes lives. Let's see how he does that with Jacob. If you're still there in 25, go a few pages to the right to chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32, and oddly enough, I'm going to begin in verse 22 again. Chapter 32, verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, so that's four wives. I addressed that last week. The scripture's not okay with that. God's not okay with that. It's writing what was. This is what the situation was. The scripture's not endorsing it. It's pointing to something that Jacob had done. The scripture also highlights what a mess that was. So, he's, he's crossing the, the Jabbok River there with his wives, his eleven sons. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. The man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go Unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him. From now on you will be called Israel. For you have fought with God and with men. And listen to this. And have won. You fought with God and and won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. Let me give you a little bit of context and background to what's going on in a very peculiar, maybe a better word to say is strange. That's a strange story in the scripture. It does not sound like the other, So we have Jacob, who I mentioned last week, referred to just a moment ago. Jacob deceived his brother Esau. And on the second time of deceiving him, Jake, uh, Esau said, you know, I'm, I'm going I'm to kill you. You know, we say that sometimes, don't we? I'm going to kill you. And we mean that, like, not really. We just mean metaphorically. I'm just going to do what I can to make life difficult on you. Esau did not mean it metaphorically. He meant, I'm going to take your life. And Rebecca, mom heard about that. And so she goes to Jacob and says, your brother's coming. And I don't think this is going to turn out well for you. Leave. And, and he does. He not only leaves the house, he leaves the country. And what we just read is now over 20 years later. He, I mean, he just left, just left. Young, young teenage boy out on his own. He leaves over 20 years later. He's got four wives, 11 sons. It doesn't mention he also has daughters and, and, it, and it tells us that they're, they're crossing a river. Does that seem like kind of irrelevant? I don't care if they're crossing a river. You, know, you know what's irrelevant is if like me and my wife and our kids and our son-in-laws and a couple of grandkids. I mean, it's a pretty good little crowd. But, you know, if we're out on a hike and, and we cross over a stream and, and I post on Facebook, Hey, we just crossed a stream. I'm guessing a lot of people would read that and think, well, big whoop doo who cares? Yeah, it's no real big deal if 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 people cross the stream. But remember, I explained this about Abraham, and it's true of Isaac and Rebekah too. There's not a few people crossing the stream. There are probably well over 10,000 animals that are crossing the stream. The family is not just them. There are hundreds of them, All these animals, Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob has shepherds, Jacob has a, uh, a security detail, he has his own little army, and all this security detail, all these shepherds, guess what? They have wives. They, they have kids. So, I mean, this is a parade. This is a massive movement. You got hundreds of people, you got all these animals, and guess what? When you got across a stream, that's a big deal with this crowd. And so that's why the scripture actually, man, there's all this is coming across and, and, and they get them all over. And then Jacob goes back on the other side. And that's where our story begins. He's, he's left there alone. You might wonder, why did he go back? I don't know. Right here. I just kind of pictured Jacob in my, my mind doing what dads do, right? You get, you get all the kids in the car, the wife's in the car. You put the last suitcase in the car. Somebody's got to run back in and make sure we didn't leave anything in the hotel room, right? No, no, no pajama bottoms. Anybody leave their cell phone. Didn't we didn't leave a kid? Right, you got to go back in there and check, and and now we're ready to go. Maybe he's just going back. Did they, they, we got everything? And he's there alone. And this man shows up, and it just gets weird. It, we don't know where he comes from. It's almost like poof. I mean, it's not like he sees them coming or anything. It's just, there's this man there, and then they're wrestling. Why? Why are they wrestling? What what is, what is going on here? And then pretty soon we start to we start. Is this This is a man, right? Is this a man? Wait a minute. Is the story saying this is God? Okay, well now I'm even more confused. Why can't God beat Jacob? Why can't God beat Jacob up? That would not seem that hard to do. Jacob runs. He doesn't fight people face on. Why can't God? And why is he trying to get away before the sun comes up? Why, won't he t- why, why is he concealing himself? Why won't he let him know his name? What is, what is going on here with, with, with God? I mean, this is just a story with a lot of questions. And yet, I think maybe if we kind of walk through it slowly and attach it to some other things, we realize, no, there's not actually anything super weird going on here. Why is he concealing himself? Why this man, is it man, is it God? Why is he not letting Jacob know who he is? Well, I think by the end of the story, we know it's God. So let's start working with that. Why does God not let Jacob know who he is? Because God wants Jacob to struggle. He wants him to wrestle. He wants him to engage in this fight. Well, if he shows up as God, is Jacob going to fight him? No, folks, when people see some manifestation of God and his glory in the scriptures, they usually have something likened to an emotional breakdown. They usually like just fall out. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at Revelation chapter 1. I mean, Revelation chapter 1, John. John and Jesus were known as best friends when they walked together on the earth. And John sees Jesus in his glorified form as God and just falls out. I mean, you know, you're in the presence of something way, way more than you, incomparably more than you. So obviously, God's not going to show up as God and Jacob say, all right, bring it. Let's do this. That, that's not going to matter. of fact, God couldn't even send an angel to do that. People kind of fall out in front of angels. They're awesome. They're fearful. You're not going to do it. No, God wants them to wrestle. So he's going to conceal his identity and he, he comes, he, he, he presents himself as a man. But then, okay, so if this is God, why, why can't God beat him up? I mean, it says there, you know, I, I, he couldn't defeat Jacob. It wasn't his purpose to defeat Jacob. He's not there to beat him up. He's not there to overwhelm him. He's there to make him struggle. You know, if you stop and think about it, we've actually seen that. Isn't that exactly the case with Jesus? He's 100% God. He's 100% man. As God has all the authority and power of God. I mean, he just speaks. He doesn't have to wave, wave his hands. He doesn't have to recite an incantation. He just speaks. Stop. And storms stop. Not storms go away. Not storms dissipate. No, they instantly, immediately stop. He speaks to the grave and people walk out. That's all the authority and power of God. And yet he got hungry. He got, he got tired. As a matter of fact, he got beat up, didn't he? He got beat up and he bled. Somebody actually said, stop this. Stop what's happening to you. You know, I could just blink and like 72,000 angels would be here. I could just speak and y'all are all vaporized. I'm not here to vaporize you. I'm not here to defeat you and conquer you. I'm not going to stop this from happening. That's not my purpose in being here. God's purpose wasn't to overwhelm them. God's purpose wasn't to beat them up. Wasn't to make them have a, a fight. It was to make them struggle. It was to make them come out of the dark come out of his normal way of approaching people and approaching life and, and struggle with somebody face to face, hand to hand. And by the way, after, right after it says, this is kind of funny, right after it says that God can't beat him, well then God kind of pulled the God card out, didn't he? What does it say? He touched him. It doesn't say he tackled him. You know, just God just put on his best NFL quarter, uh, linebacker and just plowed through him and hit his hip and out it went. That doesn't say he pushed him down and he landed on a rock just right so it, it, it hurt his hip. He touched him. The, the actual word there implies he just reached out his finger. And he permanently destroyed his hip. You, you didn't hear that in what I read, but if you go further in this story, you know he will never walk straight again. He will limp the rest of his life. So he does play the God card there. And then after the fight, now a lot of people don't bring this up as a strange question. It's, it's one of the first things that jumps out to me. They finish this, I mean, they've been wrestling, fighting. What I guess we're to understand is all night long. And at the end of the fight, Jacob says, bless me. Does that sound just a little, have you ever had a fight with somebody? I mean, like a physical altercation. I'm assuming not a lot of us do that as a way of solving life's problems. Some of us have maybe more schoolyard, right? I did once in fifth grade, once in seventh grade. I think that was the grades at these. And I think both fights were like a solid 4.5 seconds long, right? I know in one fight, I don't even think a punch was thrown. It's like, well, all of a sudden we're kind of embroiled in this and kids are gathering around. And, you know, you can tell we're both thinking, how do we get out of this? I think in the other one, I think maybe a few punches were thrown. You, You want to know something? I don't remember the names, of either of those guys or why we were fighting. But I remember this. Neither one of us looked at the other and said, would you bless me? <laughs> now, I mean, now that the fight's over, would, 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 would you? Does that, do you understand now how weird that is? <laughs> bless me. Folks, I think this is one of the most profound pages in the entire Bible. And maybe something we need more in our lives than anything else right now. As a matter of fact, somebody needed to understand what was happening right here this week. Think of where Jacob is standing at that moment. At, at dawn. Looking back on the night he's just been through. Was that God? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that was God. I don't know what I think about God. If that was God, why did he do that? Why did God punch me in the hip? Why, am I, why is this hurt? Why is this happening? All these questions, all this inability to put it together. Bless me. Guess what, folks? None of our confusion, none of our anger, none of our frustration changes the fact that there's one source of blessing in the universe. Don't let go. Don't let go. Whatever questions, whatever anger, whatever frustration, don't let go of that source of blessing. Of blessing Jacob knew whatever I understand about this. That's where that's where I'm going to get blessed. And so they they move on now into this this naming thing. I mean, that is kind of the big point of the story. Now we're moving into this name and Jacob says, you know, I want I want you to bless me. And and God says. What's your name? Now, if we believe this to be God and it is. Do you think God doesn't know what his name is? No, you, you guys say, OK, I'll bless you. What's your name and address? I'll send that tomorrow. No, remember, he's saying what, what, what we read is my name is Jacob. Oh, yeah, I have a nephew named Jacob. What he's saying in Hebrew is I'm a cheater. You, you see where he is after this night? As a matter of fact, he's not standing here like this. He's probably standing like this, right? And he's hurting, and this person he's asking to bless him just hurt him. I think maybe permanently. I think I may never walk right again. I want you to bless me. What's your name? I'm a deceiver. I'm a cheater. You know, I I think maybe from an American mentality, we would look at a moment like that and say, "Now, if that's God and that's what God is doing to him, I don't know if I want that God." I mean, does God hurt us? I mean, like God would physically hurt somebody? God would shame somebody like that? You know, I, I know. I know this. The Scripture does make it very clear. God humbles the proud, and Jacob is proud. Jacob kind of believes I I have a right to whatever I want. I have a right to get what I want the way I want. I I know what I want. I know what makes me happy. How that affects you is not really my problem. But does does God humble the proud just because that's what God does? You know, I'm going to destroy proud people. No, folks, the Bible also says that God raises up the humble. You know, it's interesting the word used there. In the Hebrew language. And the reason I say that phrase. The word used there. We have more than one word in the English language for fighting. Don't we? Physical altercation. Fight. Box. Wrestle. Grapple. Shove. We've got different words. And, and think of different pictures come to your mind. with it. When I say boxing. What do you picture? Uh, probably two people standing up. Right? When I say wrestling. What do you picture? Two people down on the ground. Think about the difference. In, in boxing, there's a lot of... I'm not going to start doing that. I'm going to look stupid. In, in, in boxing, w- while I do actually want to hit you, there's a whole lot of boxing where I'm trying to keep some distance between us, right? I, I, I'm trying to not engage because I don't want to get hit. I'm only going to engage when I can give the hit. Now, think about that look that comes to your mind and how different that is from wrestling. Where win or lose, you're always entangled with that which you're wrestling with. You're always embroiled. I mean it's flesh against flesh. It's face against face. It's sweat. The word for wrestle you hear. Also is tied to a word in the Hebrew language. That means dirt. Which is probably why we interpret it wrestle. Because when you're wrestling. You're where are you? You're down on the ground. You're, you're, you're in the dirt. And and so here God has, has brought him down. He's made him. He's made him really confront things in a way that's not like he normally does it and he keeps them he keeps them entangled there he keeps them embroiled there he humbles them with the hip he humbles them by saying who are you what are you and now humbled god's ready to lift him up you'll never be called cheater again you'll never be called a deceiver again you will be called Israel. Matter of fact, God even kind of takes his glory. And kind of puts it on him, doesn't he? You fought with God. And you won. You stayed. You stayed at it. You stayed tangled up. You stayed holding on to me. You have fought with God and you have fought with man. The the name Israel... In the language, literally means to contend with God. It does not mean and one. God just added that. You fought with God and man and one. Do you realize how much is going on here in this page? Not only does that name look back on Jacob's past and his life and the past night. But does it not incredibly and accurately prophesy and cast the die for what the nation of Israel be from that page to right now today what nation what people group has been more in the target of every people group on the planet there may be no nation more hated more openly talked down about we don't hear that as much because we're we're an ally we're a friend we're one of the few friends Israel has had <laughs> And we have anti-Semites. And they're friends. They have people who don't like them. They, they, have, they have fought with man their, their entire history. They have fought with God. Gosh, when we, when we do get into volume 2. Oh gosh, especially near the end of volume 2. We're going to get into Judges. And good gosh. I mean they obey, they disobey. They obey, they disobey. They, they love God and then they're going as hard as they can the other way from God. It's just constant wrestling with God right up to today. Where they have rejected their Savior. They have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They should of all people have known. It's It's their holy writings that point to who He is. That prophesy and watch Him fulfill all those prophecies. They knew the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And they watched Him born and they didn't go see Him. And it's just one prophecy after another like that. And they rejected Him. They walked away. And, and, that, and that's where they are today. You know, my, my takeaway from this story might sound a little bit different than you think. But I really see on this page maybe a new way to, to approach and to understand our, our relationship with God. As a matter of fact, my, the title today of, of the message, if you saw it there in the bulletin or on the screen, the beginning, is it, it is more like wrestling than math. The it... That I'm talking about is a relationship with God, a, a walk with Jesus. It's more like wrestling than it, than it is like math. Now, I'm not a sociologist, I'm not an expert on, on people groups, but there is something I observe in Scripture, there's something I observe today, I, some things I've read, and I've, I've talked to some Jewish people about that, and they really do approach a relationship with God more like wrestling. And what I mean by that, and I'm not sure if this is exactly the right word, they're more comfortable. I didn't say okay. I said they're more comfortable with conflict. They're they're more uncomfortable with things not being right between them and God and still hang on. They'll, They'll kick up dust, they'll curse, they'll get mad, they'll walk away and then say bless me. As much as they don't understand, as much as they don't like, they stay entangled. They stay in the wrestle. We're not as much like that. Now, when I say we, I'm not talking about just Christians. Because every, every group of Christians can take on their kind of their own personality. We're American Christians, right? We're 2019 American Western thought Christians. And we really don't approach God in wrestling. We approach Him more like math. I I want a God who fits into my formula. X plus Y equals Z. Always. That's the way formulas work, right? You plug in the formula and out comes the product. And if the formula doesn't work, then I have a right to be mad. But more importantly, I have a right to throw the formula away. I, I, I have the right to walk away. Hey, God, I I understand you to be this and to work in these ways and here's the things that you do. So out's what should pop in my life. And if I don't see that popping out in my life, then, then I have a right to be angry and I have a right to walk away. As a matter of fact, it's now your responsibility to come prove yourself. You know, in my understanding of God, you've, you've not met the definition. You haven't met the formula. So you've got to come prove yourself to me. You've got to come run a formula or, or else, no, I, I, I disengage. We, we don't stay in there. We don't hold on. We don't say, bless me. The Jew, hang. you know, a great example of what I'm talking about is Psalm 73. Read that this afternoon. Psalm 73, the psalmist is railing against God, mad at God. You know, last week I said that God, you know, the scriptures doesn't doesn't protect its heroes. You you see their warts. You know what else the scripture does? Very different from propaganda. It tells you the problems you should have with God. I mean, that's what you open up Psalm 73. Hey, listen, from one human to another, from one believer to another, I'm going to tell you something. I started to ask myself this question. Is there any point in obeying God at all? I mean, seriously, what difference does it make? That's what the psalmist asks. And you know why? Because he's trying to be righteous. He's trying to do the good thing. And he doesn't see it paying off. As a matter of fact, you know what he's mad about? The formula's not working. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said the Jews didn't do a formula. We do a formula. No, they have the same problem you and I have. They get mad when when our definition, our formula of God doesn't work. Hey, God, I'm led to believe in your word that righteous people get good things and wicked people get bad things. But God, I'm looking out in the world today and I see a lot of good righteous people and it seems like they're suffering. It seems like they're hurting. And I look over here at wicked and honest to goodness, God, it looks like they're doing just fine. It looks like some of them are having a lot of fun. And he actually said, I, mean, I I wanted to stop believing. I wanted to walk away. And then here's what I'm talking about. By the end of Psalm 73, he's praising God. Not one thing has been resolved. God didn't say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, quick, let me fix." Okay, now look, all the, all the righteous people are happy and all the wicked people. Are. No, nothing was fixed. Nothing was resolved. But hey, now that I kind of got this out of my system, would you bless me? Man, folks, I listen, forget the whole math and wrestling thing. I can't help but think there's some folks in here right now, you're just, you're just walking where Jacob's walking. You don't, was that God? I can't even tell. If that was God, that sure seems strange. Would God do that? Would God act that way? How am I supposed to understand? How am I supposed to respond? Don't let hurt, don't let questions, don't let disappointment make you walk away. Just hold on tighter. Wrestle stronger. Don't stop saying bless me. God raises up the humble. You know what's humbling is to depend. It's to depend upon him when I can't see, when I can't tell, when I don't like. There's a verse in the New Testament This says there's one thing that pleases God. What is it? Faith. Faith. What's faith? It's wrestling. It's holding on. And it's saying, bless me, even though I don't like you. I can't tell what you're doing. If that was you, it sure seems like it should have been different than that. But you're all I have in this universe. You know, if you if you kind of see that as the message of the story, I don't know, all of a sudden, I see God not just talking to Jacob. He's talking to you and me, and almost 4,000 years later, he knows we're going to be sitting here looking at this story. And I just see, as a man, he's coming over the horizon. He's walking up on Jacob, and I think he's laughing. I think, I think he's saying, I'm just going to mess with all their minds right now. I'm just going to do They're just going to say, What? You know, when we reduce God to a definition and to a formula, actually, what we've just done is we've made our definition God, and God has to submit to it. You know what God is saying in this story? I ain't your definition. I'm not your formula. I'm God. So hold on. Let's pray. Father, I'm I'm just thinking about who's in here right now, who's who's watching online. And, uh, you know, I know there's I know for maybe a lot of us right now, we're we're looking at this story and that's interesting. I, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. I looked at it that way and maybe we're intrigued, going to look at it a little bit more. But Lord, I'm also confident there's some people in here who just right now are they're struggling with you. They, They don't know if you're real. If you are real, why would you make one way to heaven? That, that doesn't seem very tolerant. Why would you say Jesus is the only way? I don't understand that. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I agree with that. Lord, maybe they're here and they want to believe you're in control of all things. But if you're in control of all things, how could that have happened? Why would you have let that happen? Why didn't you stop that from happening? And God, the questions are kind of building them up. It's, it's building anger and confusion and maybe just uh, done with it. Oh, Lord, I pray for that person. You would give them strength. The strength of Jacob. The strength of Jacob to hold on. Lord, I don't know how you'll do that. I don't, I don't know how you'll answer that prayer request. I don't know what you'll do this week. I, I pray for that person this week. I pray this week they'll see you're worthy of being held on to whether their questions are resolved or not. Just like Jacob, just like the psalmist, with maybe nothing resolved, they say, you're you're all I've got. I'm going to hold on to you. Give them that strength emotionally, spiritually, physically, God, give them that strength. And Lord, I want to praise you. I want to praise you. I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. That by him and through him, I do not have to be known as an adulterer, as a cheater, as a liar. I don't have to be known as, as a fake. I don't have to be known as a hypocrite. God, what are all the sins that we walk into this room with today that, that make us feel so guilty, that make us feel so ashamed, that make us feel so unworthy? God, may we hear you say you don't have to be known by that. You'll be known as my child. Oh, I thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. We can change our names. We can change our lives the very same way Jacob did, by depending upon you, by holding on to you as the one blessing. Oh, God, hear our prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.